There we go. Welcome to another episode of the Principal Liner Notes podcast. This is Sean Gaylord. This is episode 104, and I am so pleased and, and honored to have a musician, uh, a pal, a bandmate that, that I have great respect and admiration for. And uh, yes, we've got the guitar lined up. We have Tom Caulfield here, guitarist, musician, poet, warrior, um, yeah, <laughs> titan of Tanglewood, <laughs> all, 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 all of the things, all of the bits here. And we're going to talk music. We are going to go down several rabbit holes on on music and ideas and thoughts and and so this episode will will serve as the liner notes if you will to let, let's just say these are the, the the liner notes tom to your your latest album reverse like the polarity and 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 so when folks are listening to that album uh, on the streaming platform of their choice, or when they go to your website, which we'll talk about here shortly, they as they're listening to the album, um, well, maybe 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 they they can listen to a track and then they'll play this this podcast and then play another track and then play the podcast and then have the have the liner notes um, digitally speaking as as they listen to your work. But welcome, Tom. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I like I like what you're saying because you know you said you said recently. Uh, in, when you were talking about your love of music, um, how much the liner notes used to mean. You know, you could sit down and you were getting this great narrative at the time, just enriching the whole experience. So, yeah, now I want to release a, a bonus version of the album where we've inserted these in and it's a multimedia experience, you know. <laughs> which, 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 again, you, you and that, that, that's actually a great segue um, to some of your work because as what I greatly appreciate is is this this kind of package that you put around your music. It's it is a multimedia experience and you you have a great appreciation for that. So when you go on Spotify, um, there's a you, you, you can play whatever the track may be and then there is a a film or an image or a still that that corresponds, with 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 your piece uh I'd, I'd love for you to maybe talk about a little bit of of some of those things that go into your music that kind of if, if you will bookend or or enhance the experience yeah well you know first i was a you know first i was a music fan or am a music fan and record when records would come out they would when they were good when i was listening to records in the 70s and really first getting into music mm -hmm. there was it was such it always felt like a gift when a great record came out i mean it was like you were getting through the the week you were mowing the lawn and you know your parents were bugging you to clean your room or whatnot and suddenly something incredible like you know close to the edge by yes comes out or steely dan you know steely dan's katie lied or something or Michael, especially something like Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells, and boom, you know, suddenly you've been handed something that just transforms you, you know, and it's and it's a lot more than just a piece of music that arrived in a blank, you know, cover. It's it's got an evocative title, mm -hmm. uh, and it's based around kind of an idea with very um, interesting imagery, 
And so whenever I make a record, I, I think of that kind of gift uh, that records used to feel like. And I, I want the experience to be somewhat, you know, like suddenly there's something new and kind of evocative that someone that can lift their whole week up, which some of these great mm -hmm. records did for me. So, yeah, I think that because, you know, being a human being, we have to spend so much of our energy just getting the business of getting through the day done, um, you know, the, the logistics and the mechanics, when the truth is that 90% of our existence is a very poetic existence. Mm -hmm. It's a spiritual existence and it's it's um, wondering what the nature of creation is, where we're at in our lives, um, you know, uh, what is our, you know, who, what are the relationships, what do things mean, what is our place in the world, and, um, and it, contemplating that to me is very enriching, and if you attach it to a tangible idea and then explore that, it kind of makes a, an inflection point that people can kind of hang on to and then kind of get a sense of their place in relation to that and their, and what they're going through, so yeah, that's something I always try to do. So what album or what piece of music, you know, and, and we we made a reference uh, earlier in our in our pre-podcast uh, conversation, which we probably just should have pressed record on immediately. Right. <laughs> um, but but I, I kind of gave you the image. We talked about Van Morrison earlier, right. how I, I, I have this image of you listening, a young Tom Caulfield listening to astral weeks that just pivotal pivotal 1968 album um and and then you on this caravan if you will no pun well pun intended completely for van morrison fans out right. there the song caravan and and hearing those that beautiful string arrangement at the end of the title track which literally ascends and then you going i wonder where they're going i wonder where those strings are going van i'll see you later i'm gonna see what happens and then you I just see you kind of like floating away after a guitar and then all of a sudden you start playing. So what what was that moment for you that that led you to the path where that guitar is in your hands right now? Yeah, well, you know, it's it, Astral Weeks was kind of a pivotal album. I first heard it at a at a later than when it first came out mm -hmm. but um i had made one of my biggest leaps ever in life which was a, a girlfriend of mine at the time and i moved from michigan where i grew up to uh, santa cruz california and we we only stayed about nine months but we were on our own you know very little money and we were living uh up in the santa cruz mountains uh kind of near the water uh down the down the mountain road and we had to stay in. We had to cook in a lot. And so um, I remember one of the one of the four or five cassettes we had was Astral Weeks. Mm. We'd put it on, you know, drink some wine. Uh, we'd make some dinner. We'd make some pasta uh, with a filmmaker friend of mine. And then we'd, uh, we'd head down to the ocean. And uh, those melodies would be swarming in my head. And yeah, it was the first record I heard that was, as I understand it, was kind of an improvisational record to some extent. Mm. And so, uh, you know, for guys like uh, I had grew up with uh, first hearing, uh, well, my first musical experience was my mom kind of singing to me in the playpen. And I remember that before she would, I would feel a little bit of anxiety. And then she would sing. She sang Moon River and she sang August Moon. The air would just fill with this kind of positivity and safety 
So I, I never know if um, music, uh, music as something that was spiritual and that was kind of uh, of a comfort was something I loved because she did it or because she responded to something that was already, you know, hardwired in me. But whatever the reason, that that was kind of the main re main way music first reached me. And then um, soon after, um, once again, kind of devotional music, I heard music at Christmas time. I heard uh, in the, the hymns and the carols. And then I heard music in, in the church. So my first musical experience was music as kind of spiritual tributes or devotions, you know, um, and 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 sort of very peaceful and very um, like you say about the Van Morrison record, very ascending, um, like like hymns will do, and uh, mm -hmm. and then this little little group of guys from Liverpool. I don't know if you know about them, but they kind of changed things uh, incredibly in the '60s, and and we all kind of took some note of that. And um, sometimes I th I wonder um, to at this for as much as the Beatles. Uh, influenced everybody and brought them joy how many people they slightly confused because we all just had to be the Beatles at that point yeah. <laughs> whether we were meant to or not yeah. so um, you know after spending uh, a number of years uh, loving the Beatles um, they put out Rubber Soul now Rubber Soul was the Beatles but it had a sort of introspective nature and that was what was kind of different about it from the records heretofore. And it was also, it leaned uh, acoustic. And so it kind of, it, it kind of showed me that that was, that spoke to me a little more. And it was a great gateway because it was Beatles, which I adored for their melodic power and their, their kind of social, uh, the, the joy they brought on the, on the, cultural level and the confidence and the, the camaraderie and the loyalty and the brotherhood. But they had this suddenly here was a record that was looking inward. And it was also very, it had a lot of space and it was acoustic. And I just really love that. And so that's kind of the beginning of where I understood, or, or I should say um, something was speaking to me personally in the way that I would want to pursue music. And then um, after that, if you, you kind of take a leap, um, a lot of the, the to the 70s, a lot of kind of progressive music was having a lot of acoustic and uh, instrumental passages. Yeah. And particularly uh, tubular bells was, a, was an inflection point for me because mm. here was a record that was 90% uh, instrumental and very acoustic. And it was very, uh, you know, it was long. They were long form pieces and it was introspective music. So not only were you um, kind of going here, you know, you were going into it and it was making your mind travel at the same time. It was kind of relaxing your body. It was mesmerizing. So and uh, and and that was kind of where I started uh, with instrumental music and acoustic music as its own thing. That's amazing. Um, and, and I just so happen to have a copy, as you know, of, of Rubber Soul here. Right. This is the uh, American Capitol Records uh, edition, which which for me and, and for many other Beatle fans, and there are going to be some Beatle fans that I'm going to alienate here in just a second. Right. The, yes. the American version, in my mind, is the better version. 
it's I'm it's, so I'm so glad you agree with me on that. You know who else agrees with that is uh apropos of nothing, but Tom Petty felt that way as well. Oh wow, we are in good we are in very good company then. Um yeah. Tom Petty may he rest in peace, but but it just that acoustic introspective sound flows better. Now, sometimes Capitol Records didn't get it right in terms of the Beatles' original vision of of, of how the uh, song tr songs were aligned on the album, and in some cases, songs were taken off the original album. But for an album to begin with, or the American version to begin with, I've just seen a face, oh. and then to take you on this kind of folk introspective acoustic journey, um, it, it's just a great world. It's a great expedition to to be upon um i also believe brian wilson this was probably the version that he heard and and then that said and and he he had the the, the the famous epiphany well wow this is an album in which all the songs just fit together and sound right i'm going to make the greatest album ever made now i'm going to set out to do that hence pet sounds and we would not have had that that masterpiece if it weren't for this masterpiece. So I, I appreciate Absolutely. your take on the album. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's interesting. Pet Sounds also uses the kind of uh, the Brown cover and uh, yeah. you know, that has a lot of space, but yeah, though, when, uh, when uh, I've just seen a face starts that moment with the, the acoustic guitar and the way that it stays consistent through yes. was a big influence for me. It's funny, a lot of times um, we uh, people will often say, what was your biggest influence? And you're, you tend to want to say an album or an artist, but a lot of times an influence, I think, can just be a moment. And um, yeah. with acoustic guitar, um, what I was what I was picking up on a lot, we've been talking about uh, Rubber Soul and I we went to instrumental music, but you had a lot of acoustic music starting in the early 70s as well. Yes. Yeah, you had James Taylor, you had John Denver, you uh, all coming off this rubber soul uh, kind of acoustic and the, the folk rock moment. Mm -hmm. And a lot of just the guitar intros alone would would ring in my mind. And I swear to this day, they're, they're pri primarily what I'm trying to recreate those would be things like the intro to Fire and Rain oh. by James Taylor, just the intro, uh, yeah. the intro to Venture a Highway by America, mm -hmm. just the, just the solo guitar, the in, the the beautiful intro to Rocky Mountain High. Oh yeah. So the they're little they're little tiny ambient guitar moments in which then the voices come in. But yeah, you had David Lindley and uh, Jackson Brown doing beautiful mm -hmm. acoustic guitar work. You had Jim Croce doing beautiful guitar work. So there was all kinds of acoustic music um kind of uh kind of to draw from in those early in those early folk rock and singer-songwriter days. Absolutely. Or you, you have these acoustic moments and you, you touched upon this in these kind of longer conceptual grand electronic pieces, you know, wow. i.e. yes, i.e. Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Um, yeah. You know, um, you know, I'm thinking I'm thinking of Steve Howe, you know, you know in the middle of these epics on 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 any number of yes songs. And then all of a sudden 
we have this this kind of brief acoustic interlude. Jimmy Jimmy Page, Led Zeppelin, you know, there's that same sort of Celtic folk feel in a lot of those songs. Um, Stairway to Heaven, of course, that iconic, those uh, that iconic uh, acoustic opening piece. So, you know, I I love how that 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 form is is played with these kind of moments. Um, yeah. Which which serve as as these these minor epiphanies or these minor movements or major movements depending on, on yeah I mean on stairway to heaven yeah a stairway to heaven you know overplayed but I love to I love to wait I I love to find that moment where I've just stayed away from a, a, a record like that long enough that it sounds fresh again and you put it on and you you're reminded of why it was so popular because it's beautifully done. You know, mm -hmm. Stair Stairway to Heaven, I think it's almost a minute and a half before anybody sings. Yeah. And it's, it's just the 12 string and he plays so, he, the the tempo, the time, uh, there's no, it's flawless playing, it's clean playing, it's recorded beautifully. And, uh, you know, he plays straight through it, uh, all the three sections that are going to come in the song and then, um, it's beautiful. It's beautiful acoustic music. It's been preceded by uh, the thing uh, Evermore, where Sandy Denny's singing, where they've oh, got, yes. I think, oh. yeah, it's amazing. But you were to to yes, for example, uh, there's there's a long uh, title track piece called uh, "Close to the Edge," mm -hmm. and in, in the middle of that piece, all the all the drums all the guitar, all the voices just bottom out. They fade yep. out. And there's a section where just a big open cavern just spreads out across yes. the stereo image and it just hangs. Uh, no tempo. Uh, mm -hmm. We're almost, I guess, two minutes. And, and that was the first time I heard what later became known as ambient music. Mm -hmm. You know, and I used to love that moment. And then a slow kind of Hammond organ, Hammond organ tempo comes in, and then they do kind of an almost—I wouldn't call it a cappella because there is the, the the texture and the tempo, but it's a choral, you know, like a three-part choral voice, mm -hmm. and then it starts to be contrapuntal, and um, you know, this is this is ambient music in 1973, and uh, then came Brian Eno and music for airports. That's right. Uh, and Mike Oldfield's what I what I consider a, his superior follow up to Tubular Bell's third album, which is called Omadon. And um, I've covered uh, the type that a piece of that title track on an album of mine. So this was um, very acoustic, very ambient music in the very early seventies, and I was finding just a place in there where I could not only enjoy that sort of short phrase melody that I had, I had sort of absorbed from the Beatles and came to love, but also this sort of literate and philosophical side that I had. And, and it was finding room to kind of play and kind of mm -hmm. roam and that kind of music. So, yeah, so um, the 70s were fertile ground for this kind of acoustic, kind of uh, introspective, uh, contemplative stuff. Absolutely. And and it, it, it uh, now I want to go listen to uh, Yes, uh, close to the edge and that's going to be my homework uh, assignment um for for me because that that is an album um 
that 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 does require deep listening and deep attention and and just based upon what you just said like i'm going to go to that moment um in in your music you know how how would you for for those that may not be familiar uh, and have not been to caulfieldmusic.com, your website, your great website, by the way, or if they've not had the the ability to to see you live and, and just real, real, real quickly, um, you know, my my intro to you was experiencing you live at Be Kind Coffee right up the road here in, in our uh, in our village of Clemens, North Carolina. Yes. And, and, um, I, you, you were doing holiday music with, uh, Matt Kendrick, uh, the great bass player, uh, uh, underrated musician and, and somebody that I, I, I have been a long time fan of. And so when, when I, my, my wife and my father-in-law who was staying with us, visiting with us and my sister-in-law, you know, we were going to be kind and, and we were, we saw Matt, Ken I said, oh man, Matt Kendrick, I, I know who he is. I don't know who this Tom Caulfield guy is. I'm sure he's a nice guy. Um, and and um, and then hearing your holiday music and sacred music, um, really, you know, Matt's cool and all, and I'm I'm a big fan. And um, hopefully he's tuning in. And and um, I I remember as a kid seeing him play in the Matt Kendrick unit here in Winston Salem when when I was waiting tables at Michael's restaurant. Um, and then he played at uh, the first school where I was principal of where, where he was playing with a um, doing like the history of, of North Carolina music. And I remember um, getting, you know, I was I was so excited at this assembly, Tom, and um, I um, to, to get the class to get the school like quieted down. I grabbed the mic and I just went started going a love supreme, a love <laughs> supreme. And um, and then Matt just started playing the bass, the bass riff. Uh, and, and I, I kind of so like, cool. I had this kind of fanboy moment, John Coltrane, of course, yeah. being a native of, of High Point, North Carolina. But that rabbit hole, putting that rabbit hole aside, that was the intro to your music and and um, and seeing you and hearing you and getting to know you. Um, so for those who did not have that experience or can't go to Be Kind Coffee or, or go up to wherever you're playing, what what is the what is chapter what is the what is the first chapter uh, that folks or or in media res that folks need to get to 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 um, intro to introduce themselves to your world and, and and your music? Yeah, absolutely. Let me let me say real quick just a shout out to Matt because Matt is a great guy and Matt Matt has just been real big figure in my life. I have actually known him since right around eight, 1989. Wow. And I was living in Winston for a few years then. He played bass on a record I made and um, he he just he just lifted it. He's a real exceptional player. I'll 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 turn you on to that and you just so you can hear him play. I'd love to hear and that. He, and and at the time I was playing um it's kind of rock, you know, pop rock music. I was a singer-songwriter. And uh, but Matt has traveled with me into kind of my my pepper moment, as you would say, where I I decided that I needed to leave all the baggage behind. I've read your book and I love oh, it. And you. Uh, and, you know, my pepper moment was kind of deciding I wanted to um, start again, you know, start with a style of music where I could let um, 
kind of the history of what I'd been doing go and begin again. And I did, and it's worked out for me. Um, I was, you know, kind of playing pop rock and singer songwriter for a number of years. That's when I met Matt. But um, I reached a point a, a little over a dozen years ago where I, I just wanted to do something different. And um, just kind of looking at the world, I felt that silence, or I should say quiet, was becoming a rare commodity. It was becoming kind of an endangered species. And um, everywhere, every experience I felt like I remembered you could get some quiet was now interrupted by a, a cell phone going off or an alert, or there was just a, a noisier amount of junk mail coming in the box. And uh, there was mm -hmm. just a harder sell across the board. There was, it seemed like it was harder to just focus your attention span, whatnot. And kind of simultaneously, I wanted to just get back to my roots a little bit. My initial uh, musical experience was was in guitar lessons. And in the old days, you had those guys, even though you wanted to play the Beatles, you had those guys that say, would say, you know, you're if you're going to learn, you're going to learn it the right way. So yep. they would make you go through like the the scale doing your scales for three weeks and or it's three months you know and then you had to learn very stuffy uh classical etudes and whatnot and you just wanted to get to the chords of i want to hold your hand exactly, exactly. I'll, I'll walk through fire to get to those chords you know so so but then kind of by accident you you start to kind of enjoy that stuff or admire it and i had a great book uh, just kind of a simplified Andrew Segovia pieces was my my lesson book. Mm. And I, I finally came to enjoy figuring those out. And they were beautifully, beautifully composed little pieces. And um, so I wanted to get back to that. So I, I bought a, a classical guitar. And um, mm. the, the minute I brought it home, I, I kind of got uh, sick. <laughs> and, I, and so I couldn't get to it. And I was laying in bed. And um, so when I finally did get over to it, I was almost so limp I could hardly play, but I started playing and I was just playing very quietly. And um, I, I started to just, uh, because I was kind of, I think, fluish, I bypassed the kind of filter, you know, the, the cerebral filter. And I was just playing from emotion, from mm -hmm. the heart very quietly, very contemplatively. And um, I don't know if you've, have you ever, do you know the music, the Wyndham Hill style of music? Oh, Hill Alex Degrassi and, yes. Will Ackerman, yeah. Uh, Bill Ackerman, They're, yeah. George Winston. Yeah, it was a label that they put out and um, it was Will, Will Ackerman put a record out and it sold so well. And he had a bunch of friends kind of doing the same thing. And they started putting out a beautiful series of instrumental contemplative music. So as an adjunct to the, the kind of ambient stuff I'd heard and the acoustic stuff I'd heard before, I that I was a fan of that. So I think I was drawing from all of that. And um, what I started doing was developing kind of a contemplative, quiet, acoustic guitar-based approach uh, to what, you know, to melodic music. And um, that's what I started doing. And this this little guitar I bought, this nylon string guitar, just seemed to have songs in it. And I just started pouring songs out. And I had a little portable Tascam recorder. 
and I would put it in front of it and I would limp through these uh, pieces and then I started to feel better. And um, so when I'd had about, about a dozen of them, I just uh, rolled them together into um, I, my iTunes and, you know, one day just around the house, uh, getting things done, uh, doing some work. I played them and I, I just loved what I heard. I loved how quiet it was, and but it was active enough to be engaging. Um, it, it got my introspective mind going and my contemplative mind going, but it seemed to relax my outer nerves. And so I just loved it. I felt I felt that it spoke better for me, my touch on the guitar spoke better for me than when I had sang or when I had written lyrics. So um, I wanted to go with it. So I made a record and I put it out and I didn't know what would happen, but it was uh, it was really well received in that community. One of the uh, primary uh, journalists wrote really uh, a glowing review and I got uh, some airplay and I was kind of off and running and that's what I've been doing ever since. Oh, wow. Thank, thank God you got the flu, right? And right. Uh, I mean, it's one of those we'll see moments. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how, and, and actually almost a Neil Young moment. Um, you know, what, what, what's the famous story of him riding down by the river, cinnamon girl and cowgirl in the sand and in bed with the, with a fever, uh, oh. you know, so, so you, you, you are in good company with, uh, with the flu and fever here with, when it comes to uh, the artistic temperament. Um, the notion of silence and, and, and it, it is, and contemplation is such a prevalent theme and resonance in, in your music. Um, I find that, you know, and I've talked about this on the podcast that that music is this kind of universal divine voice that that connects us, and 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 regardless of of what border or what box you check or or, or whatever it may be, music is that is that kind of is is a unifying force, but but is also a a healing force, and and how you are using music which which is a form of noise to combat noise um and 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 to diminish noise is 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 powerful and and so much of your playing is i mean it, i mean i don't know this isn't cliche but it is soulful you know it is it is soul music not in the in the Brooke Benton, uh, Marvin Gaye, Motown sense, but but it is it is music that I believe that when I've heard and seen you play, it it emanates from your soul. It is it is you establishing connection. It's you sharing what's on your mind, and and I mean, and 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 I hear that throughout all of your albums. That that's such a compliment. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, it's it's. It's very emotional for me. It's it's it it comes. I sit down to write when I'm when I'm feeling very emotional, and then I just follow it instinctually. But um, I loved what you, when, hearing what you said yesterday on the podcast when you when you what you just quoted about music being that kind of that enlightening force. And um, with me, uh, back to the idea of 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 silence, I think that. Um, when you talk about silencing the noise, 
it's because there's a chaos a lot of times to actual just room silence. And I think the, the chaos comes from our internal chatter. Um, we're, we're forced to deal with a lot in the modern world, especially the, this technological world and this fast world. I think everybody, I think it's probably been the case for a long time. You know, if you read Montaigne or people's minds, uh, the human mind just runs and chatters with all its uh, conflicting values, you know, trying to reconcile all these conflicting values. And it can be chaotic. And um, mu if you have quiet music, for, for me anyway, if you have music that is quiet, but it has structure, and that's what I like about uh, the sort of uh, what I learned, I was fortunate enough to be born in the 60s, where the fashion at the time was these short, concise, melodic phrases, mm. which is what the I think the Beatles spearheaded and what their main contribution was to me. I always still, even though I'm making quiet music, I think in those short, concise, melodic phrases. And I think why uh, th that gives me satisfaction is it's quiet, but it's putting nice little gestures of structure uh, into the air. So it stops all the um, all those wild, uh, the inner dialogue from spilling outside the lines everywhere and kind of gives me, it starts to structure them and encourage me to think in more coherent forms. And the music is so relaxing, it's kind of quieted that part of me down. And um, that's why for me also, I listen to quiet music uh, when I write or when I'm um, when I'm writing when I'm writing or when I'm reading or when I'm just uh, trying to get you know centered and um, Brian Eno when he talks about quiet music um, and I think uh, contemplative music or that kind of instrumental music is great because it is a nice background music you can't yes. ignore it it can just set a nice mood where some great there's some music that's great, but you have to pay attention and there's a lot happening. And if you try to tune it out, it's going to be very noisy in the air. But this kind of music can be very uh, suitable uh, for a background. Yet, hopefully, if you've done it in a, in a way where you've been conscious and you're expressing your actual thoughts and emotions, it also will reward a close listen. So you can kind of toggle back and forth between it that way that the city is kind of looming nearby and we were just um we built up a reserve of just a little a need to get back around the rhythms of the natural world and we knew uh we came to we came back to carolina because our mothers are both here and we wanted to be closer to them they're both getting a little on sure. so my sister was helping us get in an apartment and rebecca had loved tanglewood when we visited and she would just gently say, you know, I, I hope we can be nearby or or whatnot. So we kept that in mind when we looked for a place. And where I live now in Clemens, Tanglewood's just about a mile and a half away. And if if Tanglewood was not there, the experience would be so different. Um, we go there every, I think every day, if not six days a week. And it is just a cathedral. You know, it is an absolute spiritual experience every time we go 
Um, I think a lot of people know that there's horse stables there and there's uh, a golf course there, which we've never really been on the golf course, but there's also trails um, right in the main part of the park. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if everybody knows that in the very back of the park, there are nature trails where you can go down and off into dirt track trails and into open fields. And if you are quiet enough and you just breathe and you know just sort of embrace the place you just every time is different you can approach the paths from different directions and you just always see things you haven't seen before you see animals you see um the it, it's funny i never really realized how much say fall and winter change almost daily i always thought they were just one thing a piece you know but fall on monday in October or November is different from fall on Thursday. <laughs> it's yeah. suddenly things have changed. And if you if you feel like you want to um, you want to feel that you're connecting or you're you're losing your connection by dealing with the the man-made world. Um, but or or you just want to keep you know um, bolstering your connection to the real world. I, I just don't think there's a better way than being around the, the natural world because it's an indisputable language. I mean, this is the way it was made, that the world is designed. And when you watch the interplay, the light and the shadow, you know, uh, the, the, the loud and the quiet, uh, the liquid and the solid, um, and how they change and how, they, how the interplay acts and that it's, I think the body feels so at home in that and uh, that it is, you know, it is home there, mm -hmm. that it's educational, it's restorative, and it's um, centering and all those things. So Tanglewood means so much to us here. It's hard to overstate. No, absolutely. It is, it is, um, you know, hopefully the folks uh, from the county, that are listening and tuning in uh, to decide to give you based upon that, that picture that you just painted of Tanglewood, you, you, you deserve a lifetime free pass uh, <laughs> to Tanglewood. That's I wish they would give it to us. Yeah. Well, I was, I did get a grant this year from, right. the, yeah, I got from the uh, North Carolina arts council uh, in, in, I think they're in cooperation with arts council, Winston-Salem, Forsyth County and arts Greensboro. And um, that's kind of what I told them. I, I told them about in my application, I just told them about um, how inspiring Tangle was, what was to me, and that it's, it's the primary influence behind the kind of tone of the music I've been making, which is on, on one of the levels it works on is to try to emulate that slow evolving kind of mm -hmm. um, changing cycling always the same, always changing characteristic of the nature I see in Tanglewood. And I guess they liked uh, what they read because they went ahead and uh, gave me a grant that'll help me uh, make sure that the next record has a lot of high uh, high quality to it. So that was, that was a real vote of confidence that meant a lot to me. Yes, congratulations on that grant. And, and that is a, it is a very prestigious um, Grant and and I look forward to to the fruits of your labor that are going to to come from that. Yeah. And if you need somebody to write some liner notes, I'm your guy, man. So 
that I'm going to take you up on that. Please, that, I'm that, I'm I'm dead that's a serious done deal right now. Yeah, yeah, that is a done deal, and that is there is no all of you are listening witness and no charge or whatever. I just I just want to have the honor to um to 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 do that um and because I love liner notes and I love your music um and Tanglewood is 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 worth uh, worth a stroll for those of you that live live nearby it is one of those gifts um absolutely that we have here in the Winston-Salem uh Clemens uh, Forsyth County uh area and um there there's a lot of Tom just just kind of beautifully painted a picture there that that I think is worth your time for Eve for some silence or or for your family to to um, have a picnic or or just just a quiet contemplative walk, uh, i.e. Thoreau, i.e. Hawthorne, i.e. Emerson. Uh, Tom <laughs> yes, exactly. Tom yeah, um, no, um, I mean, I can't you Tanglewood is a is a treasure in this town. They have a great pool with a lazy river. That's right. Uh, they have stables, they have trail rides, they have riding lessons. Um, and they, they there's a lot of venues there. Uh, they have a bed and breakfast there. Um, I don't know if people know what a treasure this place is. All the path, they have a lot of just paved paths that are just all like booming cathedrals, you know, where you're walking with under canopies of beautiful trees. There's a, there's a manicured garden behind the, behind the uh, uh, manor house that uh, has just all, most of the plants are labeled. It's curated. Uh, oh my gosh. They have um, so many, you should see, you just, uh, you walk and, and groundskeepers have made, there's one that's like a little amphitheater that seats like 10 people. I could just sit down with my guitar there. They've got a little stone bench and then That's a right. little set of like, a, it looks like the Roman Colosseum for eight people or something, you know, <laughs> out there in the middle of the woods. And well, um, you can't beat it. It's great no, stuff. No, you can't, man. And and I'm thinking when when your album is completed, we need to have a... Um, An eight people concert. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and... Um, We'll do it there at Tanglewood and yeah. um, and and have have like live performance and and uh, you know, oh I I I'm already I'm already dreaming of the event here so very cool well I mean they also have um, like there's there's uh, they have um, I can't remember all the names but one of them is called the Barn which is just a beautiful I think a lot of people will do businesses will do retreats or uh, they'll have you know wedding wedding uh, after the wedding uh, receptions there and whatnot. And that's a beautiful venue. They also have, uh, there's another one right near where the trails start. Anyway, yeah, um, I might try to do a little bit bigger of a, you know, release party, but we'll see. If not, we'll be out there on the, on the, on the eight people seats and then we'll do something intimate, you know. Yeah, that'll be great, man. We'll yeah. get Be Kind Coffee to, uh, to cater. Cater, and, yes. Uh, that'll be great. But that is, it is a beautiful, beautiful place and a big fixture of, of my life and, 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 and my childhood. Um, speaking of, 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 of albums, the, the, uh, the album Tom's latest, my friends is, is reversing the polarity subtitled pieces 167 through 175. He's holding it up now. Uh, it is, it is an, it is a, all, all of Tom's work is, is a work of art and, and, and a mini, uh, masterpiece. And, and this episode will serve as as the um as the liner notes 
for that album. And you can order that album uh, directly from Tom on his website, caulfieldmusic.com. Please be sure to uh, bookmark that page, sign up for his uh, his newsletter, which uh, I greatly appreciate the artistry and, and the philosophy and the, the sharing of what you're reading or, or what you're listening to. At that time, he puts a lot of depth and, and soul into that newsletter as he does in into his music. Now, real quickly, we mentioned Rubber Soul and 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 you did did some quick free association with that. I also mentioned earlier um your homework Tom is to listen to Super Session uh featuring Mike Bloomfield, Al Cooper and Stephen Stills and not just for the music but some of my favorite what we were talking about liner notes and how when you listen to an album there's there's this kind of world that you you go into and you look at the pictures and you go well what's what's that hat Stephen Stills is wearing and and who's right. this guy Michael Thomas and what's he writing about and who plays on what song so highly recommend that you and yeah. I are are big fans of Bob Dylan's Time Out of Mind album which uh, which is just going through a reissue so I would love to hear your take on 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 this this masterpiece absolutely here's my take on that okay people think of bob dylan they say like a rolling stone blowing in the wind times are changing How, this is pinnacle stuff this is this is the mountain well i i say this was all just an apprenticeship while bob dylan warmed up to make this album that's that's my take on time out of mind i think it's one of the greatest records ever made and and here's what I mean by that a little bit. Of course, that early stuff is good, good stuff. But Bob Dylan was always, he had a high standard and he loved all the early rock and roll records and even like the pre-rock and roll records. He loved how they sounded. He loved the vibe of them. He loved the, the grain and the authenticity in the vocals. He loved the old bluesman. His he was the his who who he loved the most was Little Richard. That's so right. he kind of kind of you could say stumbled into making folk, and then he started folk rock. I'm a person that always loved Bob Dylan, but will will somewhat sheepishly admit to being a little bit in the old days in the in the group of people that struggled with his voice just a little bit. Um, yeah. It was a little high and reedy for me, and a little keening. Uh, although I could hear the, the great lyrics, the great, et cetera. But Bob Dylan kind of hung back for a while, got lost in the weeds. And when he came back with this, out with this record, a lot had changed. Number one, he'd written one of the best groups of songs he'd ever written. This is Lead Belly Meets Shakespeare in yes. these lyrics. I mean, this is, this is blues, pain, mortality heartbreak mixed with astonishingly uh you know philosophical and poetic insight all said in a very accessible plain spoken way mm -hmm. astonishing he got together with a producer named daniel lenoir who yes. daniel lenoir's uh mo is to buy up all the old beat up great ribbon microphones he can all the old analog tube amps mm -hmm. and get not only that old sound but almost 
a better capture of the old 40s and 50s sound, which has so much space, so much vibe, so much grit. And it's almost like you're walking in and seeing Howlin' Wolf in a club. People talk about Daniel Lenoir's sound being somewhat affected. I tend to disagree. I think it recreates a naturalism. But the way I used to hear uh, old R&B bands and uh, uh, bands on the Chitlin circuit and, and uh, you know, blues bands and whatnot in, in the clubs in the, in the 70s and whatnot. And you walk in and nothing sounds kind of nice and clean. Those are always kind of chunky and some instruments are louder than others and it's kind of echoey and it's kind of murky. And that's what he creates. And if that's not enough, this retrospective that just came out actually improves on it, which is yeah. astounding. Because Dylan had always said about that record, he was a little bit disappointed with the mix. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, he's just, you know, he's just being... Bob Dylan, he's being a little ornery, but yeah. I think there, there were some better versions hiding in there that it, it took them a few years to find. So that record to me is the mountain and I love it. And then he went on to do a string of records um, that are, that are also very good. So his Dylan late period for me is, is one of the great uh, musical events. I know a lot of people probably checked out on Bob Dylan and he's, you know, they know he's busy, but they don't know what he's doing, but if you can, Check out late Bob Dylan, starting with the records he made in 97. I 100% agree with you. I, to me, this is the best album he ever did. And, and as much as I appreciate, um, you know, like a Rolling Stone, blonde on blood, blonde, um, tie, um, blood on the tracks, th th that those periods, those albums to me, this I, I love how you framed it. it th those albums were the apprenticeship to to this Mount Everest of an album and this latter day Bob Dylan. Um, I mean, because after this, he does just a string of just oh, amazing modern times, and it's got so much gravitas. Yes, and and, and he's his voice is what is it dropped almost an octave or something, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, and uh, and it's it's so lived in and it's so uh poetic it's just really something I, I i can see you down the line and and maybe after the um the next album i i i can and and we we you know i just want to plant a seed here um but i can see a tom caulfield um cover of not dark yet i can oh. i i can i can see you doing something with with several tracks of this album um oh. but and daniel lenoir underrated producer i mean he is most famous for his work with you too uh, and brian Eno. they were they were you know co-producers together on on my favorite u2 album uh, the unforgettable fire um and uh, and then lanois uh, solo work acadia that it that album amazing. yeah oh, man. but this this album is amazing um you touched upon um in in our conversation in this episode on instrumental music we talked a little bit about um this at the uh at the kind of the pre our pre-conversation um and i and i said that i would be remiss you know i i have a uh instrumentalist uh guitarist instrumentalist um and and we i would be remiss if we did not talk about classical gas right mason williams uh phonograph uh record 
Um, again, another fun little album with liner notes. Um, and, and I love how they list all the musicians, all the folks from the wrecking crew from LA. Um, what's your take on Mason Williams and classical gas guitarist to guitarist? Well, it's, it's quite a, it's quite a feat at the time. It was, uh, it was a one, it was kind of a one-off and, uh, yeah. So in the sixties, there was the golden age of AM radio and, yes. and the Beatles was, were the big bang. And suddenly there was the great thing about AM radio in the sixties was how eclectic it was. And this is kind of the standard read on it now, but I don't know if younger folks know. I mean, what was beautiful about it was how eclectic it was. It was playing soul music. It was playing funk music. It was playing yeah. folk. It was playing kind of easy listening Sinatra was still on the charts. It was playing uh, Baroque pop. It was playing novelty songs. It was playing country, Harper Valley PTA, uh, Jerry Reed, if you're hot, you're not. If you're hot, you're hot. If you're not, you're not. Uh, it was playing Winchester Cathedral and strange, uh, 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 what would they be called? Music hall. It was, it was amazing, you know? So it was, it was kind of like from a, social perspective it was the ideal of the multicultural you know sort of ideal or something which was mm. beautiful that's that's kind of how i grew up but yeah all of a sudden you'd hear instrumental pieces of music uh booker t and the mgs uh were doing uh hang em high and the and the, mm -hmm. the good bad and the ugly green onions whatnot you had uh, Roger Williams doing a piano version of Born Free, mm. theme from a movie. And then Classical Gas comes out and it's uh, kind of got a backbeat and it's kind of almost Beethoven meets uh, like uh, Jimmy Webb doing, yeah. uh, you know, Galveston or something. And but as all of us guitar players found it, uh, the fretwork was quite impressive. And I think almost every guitar player took a crack at it at the time. And um, but it, once again, for me, it was just it was always almost striking, almost a little bit bold to uh, to uh, hear a piece of music without vocals, because it uh, just opened up for you and let you kind of uh, project onto it. But uh, yeah, one of the great instrumental uh, hits of the 60s, of which there weren't many, but they, they counted, you know. You know, we we can't dismiss the the cinematic nature of instrumental music and 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 the you know we kind of began with talking about multimedia and 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 the mixing and merging of right. of uh, of expression you know so when you do listen to an album you know such as this and, and classical gas you know you've got very much um and and, and mason williams very much like you a renaissance man you know one who mason williams is is a um is a writer he's an actor um musician uh he he did all kinds of art happenings you know in 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 the 60s and 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 some of that is is in your work so when i go on spotify and 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 pull up your your music you know there, there's very much an appreciation not only for the the audio world um, but but also for the you know video and, and stills that 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 you you put through that. So on on your latest album, reversing the polarity, um, you know what what is that experience that you want the listener to to come away with? Uh, 
you know, because it, it's a it's a whole package, and and um and 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 it's a great package. But what what is that? What is that gift that that you are attempting to to give to to listeners through through your latest album? Well, I hope that it's transforming. I hope that it carves out a kind of quiet space where they can detox a little of this kind of noise chatter that we've got going on so much in this. I guess it's just the early um, social media era. I think I think it's transitioning. Um, I think right now it's I think it's a bit of an imposition on us in, as people in in our rhythms. Um, I I know that right here right now we're using social media to positive advantage, and I think that's a good thing. But I think it's also got a, a side of it that we're still struggling to tame. And so I'm trying to make a, 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 an easily accessible and very obvious way to carve out an hour of quiet uh, mm. on a Saturday morning when you take a break from the work week, you're going to make your coffee and you can maybe put something on that'll silence a little bit of that chatter. And um, it's going to be calming, but it's going to have enough structure that it's going to not shut your thoughts down and put you back to sleep but it'll kind of engage your uh, what's, what's going on in your life, maybe help you focus it, maybe help you prioritize it. Um, that's what I struggle with a lot is just remembering what the real point of life is, which is to celebrate the more beautiful sides of it, uh, the deeper sides, just the miracle that we're all here, you know, and that we're living a miraculous thing out, which is to be a living creature. It's, Literally, if we were saying we'd be astonished by that every hour of every day, because it's crazy. Yeah. And um, and I also struggle with priorities. My my typical to-do list has 35 things on it every morning. And at the end of every day, I've gotten to about four of them. <laughs> so I have to spend some time prioritizing. So a big thing for me is to kind of get centered in the morning. And um, I like to do it with music. I did want to mention a, uh, another big influence of mine was a guy named Tim Story. He was a guy who started making music in the very late 70s and 80s. And he lived in Maumee, Ohio, which was where I was born. And I happened to meet him through a friend of a friend. And he makes a beautiful kind of contemplative instrumental music that, that's been a big influence on me. So I put on things like Will Ackerman or Tim Story, and I want to give that to the list, you know, the uh, the person that happens upon my my record. And then just quickly in closing, what's unique about this album is I generally work in three ways, a solo nylon string, solo steel string, and then acoustic guitar that's accompanied by uh, uh, sustaining instruments, textures, cellos and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And this record for the first time, uh, taking a cue out of uh, from the the Beatles uh, white album who so confident in their personal the fingerprint of their personal style could be as eclectic as say Paul McCartney was on the white album where he can go from the rock and roll of of uh back in the USR to the crazy avant-garde of wild honey pie yeah. to the baroque pop of of uh, Martha My Dear mm. to the folk ballad of, of Blackbird to the down and dirty blues of uh, why don't we do it in the road? <laughs> but it's all Paul McCartney. You always know you're with Paul McCartney. I, I think that's an amazing um, thing. Uh, he can change genre, but 
maintain his style. So on this record, I said, okay, for the first time, I'm going to do the three things I do. So it starts with steel string, right. it transitions to textures, and it finishes with nylon string. So it, I hope you feel like you've kind of traveled somewhere, because in a way, that's what we do. Like when they say you never stand in the same river twice, and an hour's gone by, and you've, you're still yourself, but you've perhaps moved a bit, which I think is what time does with us. And so I took a little shot at that with this album, and it, uh, you don't stay in that same place where when I usually use the same approach all through an album, but I think um, my style was strong enough to keep you in that sort of um, relaxed but engaged place in the way I do it, but travel a little bit. I dig that, man. Um, it 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 is very... It, very much of of the 60s with music taking you on a journey and and the late great peter tork from the monkeys talked about how albums at that time and and when and when the monkeys became a a musical unit a band um that it was about taking a trip not in in the in the psychedelic sense but it really was a the, the attempt for a lot of those musicians at the time was to take you from point a to point B, and and in, it, and in that journey, you were invited to to learn something about yourself, and and I see that just as you explain that album, uh, your latest album, Reversing the Polarity, um, it very much is a trip. It's a trip where all right, we're going to start at A, we're going to end at B, or maybe we'll go to C, and 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 maybe you'll get to B, and I'll see you there. Um, and 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 very much a a great progression starting with the opening track swaying grass of summer which again is just so poetic man and then probably my favorite my favorite um song on the album the closing essay in calm and as a former high school english teacher uh who assigned essays and taught the essay um i i greatly appreciate that 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 title uh, again, reversing the polarity, Tom Caulfield. Uh, you can find it on your favorite streaming service if you go to caulfieldmusic.com. Tom has a great uh, link where it will lead you on a trip to finding, you know, the the platform of of your choice, or you can order the CD directly from 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 Tom. Tom, any any gigs coming up? Any any uh, anything that you want to plug for future performances uh coming up for those in the in in wherever area, whatever part of the world to see you live? Yeah. Yeah, well I I play every Saturday when the weather permits at the wonderful Be Kind Coffee here in Clemens. Mm -hmm. Be Kind Coffee if if you don't know about it, it's it's a coffee shop here in Clemens. It's a wonderful place. Um, it's very dog friendly. They've got a patio out front and um, the greatest people, just the nicest people. And it's always a great Saturday. There's a lot of dogs out. You make new friends or you can just sit by yourself with your laptop. Uh, you can be inside, you can be outside. So I saw on the, um, the weather report, it's going to be uh, warm next week. So it probably won't be on Saturday, but I'll be out there on one of the weekdays. Um, call ahead, maybe check. But but yeah, once it's warm in May and whatnot, I'm usually there all the way through the summer. But beyond that, I'm, I'm foregoing uh, any live performances because I'm really going to concentrate on the Grant album. So that's where my focus is going to be. Um, and uh, 
um, so once again, want to uh, shout out to North Carolina Council of the Arts, for uh, Forsyth County, Winston-Salem uh, Arts and uh, Arts Greensboro for the generous grant. And um, that's where my focus is going to be. Wonderful. And those are great focuses to have. And, and Be Kind Coffee is, I mean, it's, it's, it's the best coffee in town. It is a very good vibe and positive and an inviting place. And, and when you play there, you accentuate the vibe uh, that is, that is there and literally five minutes away from my house. So uh, I, I look forward to seeing you there and also look forward to uh, the, the roughly named Grant album uh, and looking forward to uh, the, the the fruits of that labor, and and I I'm gonna write those liner notes for you, pal. Um, okay. Well, I, I, th I have a working title. I don't know if it'll stick, but the working okay. title took me a while. But the working title is uh, "All Days Shining." All days shining, like yeah, all days, uh, yeah, plural. All all days shining. That's my working title. Okay, see it sticks. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see where the music takes you, man. Um, Tom, I am. We we could go another few hours and and make this a a a quadruple yes concept album of a podcast episode. But oh, I'm telling you, we could, Sean. We didn't even get to the Beatles trivia cards I had handpicked. Oh, to see if I stump you. Bring bring it. Let's hey, this is hey, let's do it. Oh, you want to try one? Let's, I want to. I'll, I'll try one. Let's do well, it. You know, when I was, I didn't know how Trivial Pursuit worked. If you do, you know. If you don't, it's it's levels of difficulty, which is cool. So Sean and me are a frightening. We're at there's expert. There's <laughs> then there's frightening. You know, back away slowly level. We're those kind of guys. And so um, I wanted to try Sean. I was going to throw him the softball, and then I was going to take him into the uh, the Netherland of where was Ringo on August 14, 1961, for 10 minutes when he was trying to pick out a, a, a the right color of carpet for his mother's house type stuff. So we'll see what Sean knows. So let's see. Bring what it, do we Tom. Here? Um, what do you, okay, I got to start. Okay, which Beatles single has a beautiful three-part harmony and a request not to wear red? Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. One of my favorite. There's a, there's a, a contemplative Beatles song. And wh when I go back, it's always those kind of ambient Beatles songs I love the most. Yes, it is. This boy, uh, you know, uh, and I love her if I felt. Mm -hmm. But not, you got it. Okay, so you're one for one. Beautiful okay. song. Yeah, okay. Uh, let's see. Who designed the pen and ink drawing photo collage? that graces the cover of Revolver. Oh, one of my favorite human beings. And in fact, I I wrote a piece about him about a year or so ago for Culture Sonar. And, and if I'm not mistaken, this individual, um, several things about Klaus Vorman. Um, one, um, he, uh, he knew the Beatles when they were in Germany. Uh, he, he was dating Astrid Kirchner. Uh, who then later got up with um, Stu Sutcliffe, um, the original bass player for the Beatles, and uh, and and Klaus uh, was that guy that I think when Stu left the band, he he went up to John Lennon and said, "Hey, can I, I I've learned bass? Can 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 I play play with you? Can I join the Beatles?" And then John said to him, "We've already got a bass player. Paul's playing bass now." 
Um, but but really, um, yeah. yeah, wow. <laughs> But yeah. but he uh, he then went on um, to j play bass for Manfred Mann, um, and then played bass on a lot of their seminal solo albums. He's he's on the uh, Plastic Ono Band album with John Lennon. He's he's on All Things Must Pass with George. He pretty much you know played on Ringo's um, a lot of Ringo stuff. But I'm I have great respect for Klaus Vorman, and he won the Grammy for best uh, album cover for Revolver, for that album. Uh, yeah, isn't it, uh, no matter how many times I read the, the story, can you imagine being Klaus Worman and Astrid Kutcher and walking into the, yes. the cat, wherever they were, the cat, the cast, whichever one they went into, the star club, and uh, and you just sit down and say, what have we here? And exactly. I mean, before anybody had seen it, that's just such an amazing thing to think about what and then what they witnessed you know from that front row seat was must have just been amazing experience he, he i i put him in the cat both of them in the category as like the first beetle maniacs like they were the first fans that like truly got it, got it. literally got stumbling it. into that club in hamburg and going yeah. Whoa. This this is something, you know. Yes. Um, and it, it, the Beatles story is interesting in the in the sense that Paul and John finally made their legend and their reputation and their immortality as songwriters. I mean, we know they're the Beatles. The, the mm -hmm. voices were great. The playing was great. But the great songs. But everybody saw something in them before the songs. Even George Martin did. You know, they saw it before all the songs. They said, there's something about these guys. And my friend, my best friend years ago said, it's so great that they did have what everybody saw in them, you know, when we didn't know if they did, but they did, you know, it was, it was there. <laughs> they, they proved it. They backed it up, which is, is a great thing. Good um, point. What else we have? Okay. Let's, let's see now the level of difficulty is accelerating. <laughs> So, okay, in the movie Help, what does Clang use in an attempt to remove Ringo's ring in the recording studio basement? I believe, if I'm thinking back to that uh, that crazy movie, some version of a a chainsaw or a saw. It's a chainsaw. It's a okay. chainsaw. Okay, let's move quickly. Uh, the stand on the movie idea. What movie? The movie Son of Dracula stars Harry Nielsen and which Beetle? Ringo Starr. You got it. All right. <laughs> now it's going to get a little crazy. All right. Let's bring it. Okay. Uh, what are the two different religious chants heard in George's recording of My Sweet Lord? Okay. Good question. Great song um, featuring Klaus Vorman on bass, if I'm not mistaken. No. I, love, I love that song, My Sweet Lord. I love that album, All Things Must Pass. Um, so if if I'm not mistaken, Hare Krishna um, is, is, is there. Hare Krishna, Krishna, Krishna. And then... The second one, you may have stumped me, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make an attempt. I'm going to make an attempt. Hari Krishna, and 
Some, and I'm I'm gonna probably mess up the pronunciation, but some something like Hari Rama, something with Rama. Like the, well, the answer says Hallelujah, and I, now I remember them saying Hallelujah, but it doesn't sound like it's the melody of Handel's Hallelujah. Yeah, so, it's Hallelujah. Yeah. yeah it's, Oh, yeah, so, you know, okay. I you, anyway, so I, I give it to you, you know. No, 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 you got me on that one, man. All right, the last one. And and I know, I think you'll get this. There's another partial, I think. Okay, here we go. Uh, what was the name of Alan Williams' club, which was a frequent hangout of the future Beatles in 1960? Okay, Alan Williams, infamously the man who gave the Beatles away, their first manager. Right. Um, I'm gonna go out on a limb here. It wasn't. It wasn't the Cavern. It was not the Casbah Club. No. Nope. It wasn't the Kaiser Keller. It wasn't the Top Ten. I'm. I'm. I'm gonna. It's in. It's in Liverpool. It's it is in Liverpool. Liverpool. Was it yeah. Ye Crack? No. It was right. At, uh, let me see if I can jog your memory. So it's right after the place that was in uh, Pete Best's mom's uh, basement, which. Was that the Casbah? That was remember. the Casbah Club, yeah. yeah. So it's it's right after that. Um, they uh, before they went to Hamburg. Okay. Yes, I should know this. Oh, that it's crap. A... Wasn't wasn't the the something grapes? No, it was the Jacaranda. The Jacaranda. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 You got me. You, you got me. Need to know stuff. Yes. <laughs> That is that's important. The Jacaranda Club, yes. Yeah. Um, that is well, nice job. Uh, yeah. But thank you. Yeah. That uh, th that was a good question. Those were good questions. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. You're, you're the only. I'll tell you, I've owned this game like ten years. You're the only other person that could. could we're gonna have to meet at Be Kind Coffee. Yes. And, uh, and at least carve out an hour and see uh, see where we can take it. So, Absolutely. In in between in between sets, we'll do that. That was great fun. I I am so grateful uh, for for that. And and I'm sure that the folks who are listening who are at that frightening Beatles level that that <laughs> we are um, are we're, we're going Jack Aranda Sean Jack Jack. You know I you know. Yeah. So. Well you do, well you do a great thing, which is you make very very with a lot of wit and you know without being pretentious at all. You you know you make the Beatles a reference point for life lessons in your great book, The Pepper Effect, and in all your, a lot of your podcasts. And it's a great thing, you know, because um, if you were, I, I, I read, I wondered about this and I read in the book that you came to the Beatles a little later. And I, that's so interesting because to me that they could still have that very life-changing effect, even to someone that didn't, you know, wasn't born into them, that, that it carried. But um yeah, if you were if you grew up with the Beatles, it's it's hard to if, if for someone that wasn't there, it's hard to convey how all encompassing their effect was. Mm -hmm. They they were a very powerful force that really helped define the era, and they are almost just a mountain. You know, you can refer back to them, and the way you take um, their history and make lessons and comparisons to modern life is is really was really a, a stroke of genius i really appreciate that well i'm very honored by by that tom you are the better artist and and i'm grateful for 
for that and and honor that you you read the pepper effect uh, a lot a lot of love in in that book and and like I I often refer to it it's my love letter to the Beatles and 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 education and 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 the world it's it's really just a large thank you note to to those four lads from Liverpool who have given me and us so so much and and as uh a nod to my my great friend, another musician friend, uh, Chris Fisher, uh, who often uh, would jest with me uh, when we were in college together that I was not born at the time of of the Beatles when they were together, and and he's a year, roughly a, a little close to a year older than me, so he was born in '69, and he often says, you know, the Beatles were together when I was alive; they weren't when you were around, and I technically say, well. Chris, and, and if he's, I hope he's listening. I was born on May 8th, 1970, the exact day that the final Beatles album, studio album, Let It Be was released. Oh, so I God. just, so I cool. just made it. I just made it. Now, technically they, you know, probably had been broken up. But, <laughs> but, oh, I but, love the symmetry of that. I'm, I'm glad you get to carry that with you. Hey, yes. speaking of symmetry, I wanted to tell you, going back to the beginning. So you were, we knew we had our podcast scheduled and you were marching along through the episodes and being uh, somewhat uh, silly about some of these things. I started wondering, so I wonder what episode, you know, my episode will be and um, what if the number will have any significance. So yeah. you had Liz Bostwick and I watched it and she was 102 and I thought, OK, great. Well, we'll be I'll be 103. That's great. You know, that's um, that's a cool number. And then you did the impromptu uh, podcast uh yesterday i did i celebrated because that made this one 104 and there were two numbers rebecca and i were always associated with during our law uh, 25 years in los angeles the first one was 420 which we didn't know the meaning of but we would we lived in a town called playa del rey and people would say where are you at and we'd say we're right off uh you know uh uh Culver, we're right at 420, and everybody would chuckle, and we'd say, what's funny about that? Then there were, on April 20th, a lot of the times people would knock on our door. You do know what 420 I is, do. right? I do, yeah, I uh, do, yeah. Well, I, we didn't, and people would knock on our door with little pipes in their hand and whatnot and say, why don't you come out and join us? And we'd say, what's going on here? And then we found out. But then we lived in Brentwood for 10 years and everybody, we'd often say, meet us at 104 because 104 was our apartment number address there. So I was really glad that it was episode 104. So that's wonderful. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So that, that's really, I, I, I am a big fan of those kinds of uh, fateful connections and 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 you know i know the beatles you know the the number 9 or for john lennon in particular number 9 is a is a particularly important number so i am completely pleased that uh, this is 104 um for for yeah. you and rebecca so another another enhancement of that serendipity that connection yeah. man that is great serendipity yeah. man so oh man we'll put that in bronze for you we'll have to make a special t-shirt or something that's a uh, that is so, so cool. So this is episode 104. This is Tom Caulfield with Sean Gaylord here on the Principal Liner Notes podcast. Tom, thank you so much for the gift of your time and your insight and your artistry in here on the Liner Notes podcast for episode 104. Again, for those of you that are listening, please 
Follow Tom on on Instagram at Tom Caulfield. You can also uh, bookmark uh, his website, CaulfieldMusic.com. And there you can you can find his his um, uh, links to his latest album, Reversing uh, the Polarity. Uh, or you can also find all of his other. He is a very prolific um prolific composer and, and guitarist and you can find many many albums and, and a great kind of starting point if you don't want to listen to the latest album which i do recommend is his spotify playlist this is tom caulfield which is a great sampling of of his canon and 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 his work and of course uh, on a nice day go to be kind coffee in clemens north carolina and hear him live and and maybe you, you'll you'll see me there and i'll save you a seat and, and you can join us in a game of beatles trivial pursuit absolutely thanks john it's been an honor to uh for you to ask me on and and i really i really enjoyed it so thanks thank you tom uh as always my friends on the principal liner notes podcast don't forget to share with the world your gifts your strengths and your artistry. We all have a masterpiece within us and, and you help make the world a better place by sharing those gifts. There is a flip side to every album and uh, I hope to catch you there. And I know Tom will be there as, as well. Please take an hour to listen to his music and, and to tune into his, his world and to tune into your own world and to appreciate the silence and the beauty that is within all of us. This is Principal Liner Notes Podcast, episode 104, proudly episode 104 for Tom and Rebecca. Thanks again. We'll catch you there. Peace.